Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. So if you've not been seated yet, grab a seat. Look to someone next to you and say, you look well-rested, about an hour more well-rested than normal. If there was a way for God in all of heaven to give us an extra hour of sleep every Saturday night, I would pay a good amount of money for that. It feels real good. Like I'm extra awake. Hopefully y'all are extra awake today too because we're, we're sort of in this, the, the final phase of this series we're in where we're walking through the Jesus Storybook Bible. And uh, Pastor Kevin and I, we've, we've never done a series this long ever. It's been 11 months since last January. We've been walking through from like Genesis 1-1 to the end of of Revelation, and we're going to be finishing that at the end of November. And some of y'all are like, no, keep going. Others of you are like, thank you. Let's get to the next thing. Now, it depends on your personality, but for me, I'm excited. It's been a great series, but we're excited for where we're headed at Christmas season this year, and in December, I'll sort of roll out where we're headed this spring. I'm very excited about what God has for the future of our church this spring, but for today, I have the distinct honor and privilege of teaching one of the most important truths of our faith. I get to teach about the the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus and the ascension back to the right hand of the Father. This is a really big deal. Like if you're a follower of Jesus, this truth matters more than you can ever imagine. And in other words, if this didn't happen, everything else we believe falls apart. Like it doesn't matter. You should go home, stop coming to church. It doesn't matter. Here's how the Apostle Paul says it. He doesn't mince his words. Here's how he lays it out in the book of 1 Corinthians 15. Here's the deal. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching, that's me, is useless. Some of y'all already believe that. How dare you? And so is your faith. That's you. Like if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, our preaching and your faith is useless. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Like if Jesus did not die and then rise from the dead, our faith is useless and futile and we should be pitied. I don't know how to say it bigger than this. The resurrection of Jesus is a really big deal. Like there should be smarter words, but that's the simplest way I can say it. This is a massive deal. In fact, for, for the history of Christianity, there's been moments where, where people in our faith would, would grab the core truths that we say, these are the ones that really matter, and they write things called creeds. And this is the beginning of the Apostles' Creed, and here's the truths we sort of hang our hat on. If we're followers of Jesus, here's what it says. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, which is where we left off last weekend. And then today we pick it up here. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again, praise God. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. This is like the core theology that we hold on to. That this stuff is true. Here's the problem where we left off last weekend. 
the disciples, their experience to this point was this. Jesus was crucified, died, and buried. That's it. That's where they left off. And today we pick up where they left off in Scripture. And here's how the Jesus Storybook Bible says it. I want you to see their emotion, their experience of this. Jesus' friends gently carried Jesus. They laid Jesus in a new tomb carved out of rock. How could Jesus die? What had gone wrong? What did it mean? They didn't know anything anymore, except they did know their hearts were breaking. That's the end of Jesus, the leader said. But just to be sure, they sent strong soldiers to guard the tomb. They hauled a huge stone in front of the door to the tomb so that no one could get in or out. Jesus' friends were sad. They would never see their best friend again. How could this happen? Wasn't Jesus the rescuer? The king God had promised it wasn't supposed to end like this. You ever felt like that in a moment? Like this is not how the story is supposed to play out. The disciples could not fathom Jesus dying and that stone rolling over the grave. And that was a period. It was over. See, we look back at this story and, and, and we look at the burial of Jesus like a, like a small little detour. And the disciples went, no, it's over. Have you ever waited like three days for a doctor to call with the results of a test? You ever, you ever waited for your college admissions letter? Am I going to get in or not? You ever waited for an email for a job uh, interview that you went to? Did I get the job? You know the feeling. Three days can feel like an eternity. And for the disciples, they had left everything to follow Jesus. And now he was dead and they felt lost. What do I do with this? What do we do with our lives? Do you know what the disciples did? That stone rolled in front of the grave. They looked at each other and said, well, this Jesus thing didn't pan out like we thought it did. And they went back to their old jobs. Like they, they went back to the things they used to do before they ever met Jesus. They went back to their old stuff. The things that were little and insignificant, just the next net of fish, let's feed our family one more day. And they had tasted the, the, the mission and the power and the unbelievable story that Jesus was inviting them into. He's dead now, and they go back to it. It's over. Have you, have you ever chased something that you thought was a big deal? Think back to your childhood. In fact, I want to take us down a little memory lane. Now listen, if you're in your, in like your 20s or your teens, you're going to laugh at a lot of what we do here in a minute. If you're in your 60s plus, you, you might remember a little bit of this in your kids. If you're in my generation, you're going to lock in. See, there, there were things in my childhood that at the time they felt like the biggest deal ever. Like I... Let me, let me give you an example. Here's, here's the first one. This is Jason at probably eight years old. That's me over there. That's my brother, Josh. This is my birthday. Do you know what was rattling around in that brain, hidden behind that just ruggedly handsome face? Do you know what was... Don't laugh at that. Come on, that hurts. You know what was going on in my brain? I needed the Nintendo game Double Dragons 2. I, if, if I didn't get it, I was going to burn the house to the ground. Like it was Not really, but it was so important. And my dad did the ultimate dad move the night before my birthday party, the night before this night. He wrapped that Nintendo game in a shoebox. So I looked at the presents when he brought them out. I went, I'm not getting Double Dragons 2. I cried myself to sleep the night before my birthday. <laughs> then I opened the shoebox and I'm like, best day ever. I had Double Dragons. I'm like, dad, 
but I'll forgive you because I love it. That was the most important thing in my life. Then you start to go to school, right? And you're learning things. You know what I, what I thought would be a way bigger deal in my everyday life? Cursive writing. I spent hours. All I need now is 10 letters. Jason Berry. Just to sign checks. That's all I need. You know what they didn't teach me in school? How to type. That would have been very helpful in everyday life. Do you know what I did learn in school? I learned how to avoid dysentery in a little game called Oregon Trail. Come on now. You're going to force the river or not? What are you going to do? Careful, you broke a wheel. And be honest, if you ever wrote something bad or dirty on a tombstone, raise your hand. The only guys were stupid that way. Listen, I, that, it, that felt like a way bigger deal. Cursive, what could have been a big deal? Learning how to type. Then I turned 16. Maybe you're in this season. How important was it that you passed your driver's test? Man, what is the thing? The thing you dreaded. Two words. They both start with P. Say it with me. One, two, three. Parallel parking. You would have thought that all of us are going to live in New York City the way they, they made a big deal of it. Now we have cars. You touch a button and it does it for you. That's me, though. That was a big day. I had, if I didn't get my driver's license, my life was over. Then I, I, I sort of continue to, to grow up, and I start saving money for my first car. Remember your first car? This is mine. I thank you. If you knew how many houses I painted to buy that little car, it was that thing. I like I would wax it. I'd spend Saturdays out there. I, it was so. In case you can't tell the color, it's a mix between puke and yellow. It's like in there, two door. I took a girl to prom in that car. No time for the story. I'll tell it some other day. It was not the the pictures were not pretty, but that was the biggest deal in my life. I got all the accessories inside, hung a little tree to make it smell good. It was the most important thing in my life, the biggest deal ever. And then one day I sold that car and it doesn't matter except for a joke today. See, then you grow up and you start caring about clothes. See, for me, I cared about clothes at a young age. This is me. I picked those suspenders out myself. That's a laugh with me, not a laugh at me, right? You're with me? Okay. Those suspenders, I was like, I have to. I don't know what I was thinking. Then you grow up. And what was huge for me in high school, I had to get a starter jacket. Anybody have a starter jacket? They were like $100 and made from plastic. That thing meant the world to me. That little pocket in the front was, I don't even know what it was for, but I used to stuff stuff in there. The starter jackets were massive. And then I had to fight through and I had to get my diploma from, not my diploma, your graduation. What do you call it? Diploma? I got my diploma. Thank you. It, it, super, super smart. It, it worked. How many hours of studying? And man, it felt like if I didn't graduate, my life would fall apart. Biggest deal ever. High school, I thought playing trumpet was the biggest thing ever. I spent, someone plays, I didn't think you get a trumpet shout out. Thank you. This is about to turn for you. Uh, I then went to college and was like, hey guys, and they were like, that's lame. You know what I started doing next? I, I learned guitar because that's what you could play at a campfire when the girls were around, right? I learned every Dave Matthews song in the world. I quickly realized, man, what's really a big deal and what's not a big deal? It was funny. I, I, I grew up and there were things that I sort of discounted as not a big deal. And looking back, they were a way bigger deal than I would have thought. Like friends. Like, not just dudes to hang out with on a weekend, but like guys who would know me 20 and 30 years after college. 
Guys who would stand with me at my wedding and go, I know who this man is. I've walked through the good and the bad with him and we're here with him. You know, in high school, I could not understand why my parents cared about Friday night family game night so much. I was like, let me go hang with my friends. And they wanted it. And I, I, it was the smallest deal on my entire calendar. And today I would give a lot to have one more family game night with my family, my dad, my mom, my brother sitting around the table. It just, the time didn't feel like a big deal. The complexity of life is what feels like a big deal and what really is a big deal in the moment. is really hard to figure out. Here, in fact, here's what I think this, this teaches us. That things that we think are a big deal right now might not be. The very things that you would give your left arm for, that starter jacket, that next promotion, that new house, that car, it might not be as important as you once thought. Here's a haunting thought. It's possible to wake up in 2, 5, 10, 50 years and realize you've given your life to something that was actually not that big of a deal after all. You can wake up and realize you spent the best years of your life chasing things that didn't really matter. In fact, that's where the disciples were at this moment. They'd given their life, given up everything, left their jobs, left their families, left their hometowns and followed Jesus. Now Jesus is dead and they're going, wait a second, have we given our lives to something that doesn't actually matter? Jesus is gone now. Is he, is he not who he said he was? And they're wrestling down. What really is the big deal? We thought we found it. And now they think it's over. What's a big deal? And then something absolutely earth-shattering, eternity-shaking happens. They go to the tomb. In fact, here's their experience of what happened on that third day. A shining man was there with clothes made from lightning. Don't be scared, the angel said. But they couldn't help it. They screamed anyway. The angel asked them, what are you doing here? This is a tomb, and tombs are for dead people. They're like, well, we thought... He was dead. The woman couldn't speak. Jesus isn't dead anymore, the angel said. He's alive again. And their hearts leapt. And then the angel laughed with such gladness that they felt for a moment as if they had woken from a nightmare. The thing they thought was a big deal ended up not being a big deal. And then the thing they thought was a small deal turned out to be the biggest deal in all of human history. Jesus, who had been crucified and buried and was dead, is now alive again. And for 40 days, Jesus just starts showing up to people. Imagine that. Someone you just buried, he's like, hey, what up, dude? You're like, what? what? Like over 500 people saw Jesus, and there were no heart attacks recorded in Scripture, because I would have thought there would have been. In fact, here's one of the experiences where Jesus just sort of was like, hey, what up, dude? I'm back. Here's what he, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Like, that's a, that's a scary line when you're scaring someone. If someone's in the corner of your room, the lights are off, you turn it on, and they go, peace be with you. You'd be freaked out. <laughs> but that was Jesus' lead-in. Okay, you do you, Jesus. They were startled and frightened, obviously, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled, and why do, you, why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I, myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see, I have. The disciples start to realize Jesus is actually alive again. And when they recognize that Jesus had risen from the dead, it reset what they believed to be the biggest deal going. 
fact, here's what they, they did in Mark 16. It says, once they realized that Jesus was alive again, then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. Like, if you realize that Jesus actually resurrected, you can't shut up about it. You have to know what Jesus did for you. This is a big deal. And we realize that the disciples recognized the big deal. You know why? Because 11 of 12 of them surrendered their actual lives to preach the gospel. 11 of 12 of them were martyred because they kept telling people that Jesus was alive again. You don't give your life for something that's a small deal, do you? I don't even go like out of my way in traffic for something that's a small deal. The disciples gave their lives for it. The resurrection is a huge deal. In fact, let me tell you, let me tell you why. Here's four sort of theological cornerstones to why the resurrection is a big deal. The resurrection proves that Jesus was the Son of God, not just a good teacher or rabbi or prophet. It proves to us that Jesus' power to forgive sins. He can actually forgive us of our sins. It proves that Jesus defeated death. Even death can't hold him. Oh, death, where is your sting? Where's your victory? Did the resurrection proves he beat it. And for us, the resurrection proves that followers of Jesus have hope for eternity. It means that death is not the end. We just sung it. Death is just a doorway into resurrection life. That's why the resurrection is a huge deal. And we might be reading this from a children's book, but this is not a fairy tale. Jesus rose from the dead and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And if he actually rose from the dead, it should impact what you and I think is a big deal. In fact, here's the question I want us to wrestle down. It's simply this. What is a big deal to you? It's easy to laugh at my big deals from middle school and high school and elementary school. You cared about a starter jacket that much? Yeah, I did. Get off me. But what, what, what do you think is a big deal right now? In fact, before I go here, I need your permission. And here's the permission I need. This needs to be a no offense Sunday. I have to say some things that God's asked me to say. And in order to do that, I need your permission that we're not going to be offended together. Because there are landmines all over the place. And it's not my intent to offend. I don't want to step on a landmine. But the reality is there's things God's asking me to say that I need your permission that, listen, I love you, but today is about how we love Jesus. And I need permission for us to say, listen, I'm not going to be easily offended today. In fact, tell your neighbor right now, say, listen, I will not be offended today. Even if it's a lie, tell them right now. <laughs> Speak it, believing it over your life. Name it and claim it. I won't be offended in Jesus' name. So here's the question. What's a big deal to you? It's easy, it's easy to know what a big deal was and laugh at it from middle school and high school, but what is a big deal today as an adult is more complicated. Here's why. Here's where it gets complicated for me and maybe for you too. Everything I experience in my life tries to tell me that other things are a bigger deal. Like we sit in church, we're like, the resurrection of Jesus, he rose from the dead. He is risen. He is risen indeed. You were supposed to be there with me. He is risen he is risen indeed. And then we go into our life and everything else feels like it's competing for the most important spot. See, my, my boss tells me that my next sale or my next customer is more important. My, my teacher tells me my next test is more important. Or maybe your coach tells you that the next game is more important. My friends tell me that the football game is more important. Go dogs. Uh, we're good. 
My, 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 my neighbor, I look around and they tell me that, that the, a bigger house or the next car, the newer model car is a, is a bigger deal or how I vacation is a bigger deal. My, my social media tells me that the way people see me is a bigger deal than anything we, we talked about. My bank account tells me that inflation or the stock market is the bigger deal going on right now. Everything in my life feels like it, it's competing for the seat of big deal. It's true for me. So I know it's got to be at least partially true for us. Let, let, let me illustrate. If you were to watch an hour of television or drive in three miles of any direction of where you're seated today, what would you believe is the biggest deal going on planet Earth? The election. The amount of yard signs. Like literally, I went to my daughter's volleyball game yesterday and the school's a polling place. There were no short of 400 signs in a, in a matter of 50 feet just covering each other up. I'm like, just take them all down and put one of each. Can we be smart? Like, there's signs everywhere. If I get another robocall or text saying, vote, I'm going to throw my phone just into the river. I'm so done. Like, if you listen or watch TV or drive anywhere, it's like everyone's telling you that politics is the most important thing going in all of human history. I can feel it in here. The problem is this. If you sit in it long enough, you start to believe it. And you start to feel that pressure growing up inside your chest. And here's what happens if you sit in it long enough. If you listen to the screams that this is the most important thing in all of history. This is the one. You start to believe it and you start to look at your candidate like the disciples looked at the risen Jesus. My hope is if he's dead, it's over. Oh, he's back to life. It's all back on again. Everything's going to be great. You start to put hope and faith in places that were designed to be placed in Jesus only. Now listen, the election is an important deal. It's just not the biggest deal. You should go vote this week. And when you vote, don't leave Jesus in the car. Vote godly and biblical values. You should do that. But listen, don't waste your vote like this 12-stoner who sent me this picture, real ballot, not sure if this is legal or not, Trey is going to District 9. I'm going to District 110. Today I'm resigning, and I'm starting my career in politics. I'm just kidding. I officially denounced that, and if there's a runoff, I'm out. I congratulate whoever won District 110, wherever that is. I assume it's somewhere in Georgia. Listen, don't, don't waste your vote that way. But equally, don't waste your heart. The election's important. It's not the biggest deal going. See, my problem is that there's dangers that grow up in my soul during election season because it's so easy for me to mix up what's really big and really small. And the noise and the chatter everywhere on all sides makes you believe this is the biggest thing that ever existed. And I think the resurrection of Jesus would whisper, really? If Jesus rose from the dead, it's not the biggest thing ever. And I can so easily mix up what's big and what's small. Let me illustrate it this way. And if you have a squeamish stomach, there'll be moments where you just need to earmuff that thing for a second. True story. Two weeks ago, my son Luke, a wife takes my youngest to football practice. My, wife, my daughter and my son and I are hanging out, watching Dude Perfect on the couch. It's a great Saturday. My son gets up. He's thirsty. doesn't want to miss the thing. So he gets up and sprints to the kitchen. If you've ever stubbed your toe... He kicks the doorway like full stop, hop, you know the hop, 
grabbing his foot. He's like, Dad, oh, it hurts. It hurts. Like he, Here's the cool thing. This was his first adult injury, so no tears, just like anger, frustration, pain. I'm like, you're becoming a man. So he's grabbing his foot. And I'm like, son, I told you, you're careless. You're running. You don't run in the house. This is what happens. He pulls it together, goes in the kitchen, gets a paper towel. Small deal. Get over it. About two minutes later, he comes back into the living room. He's like, Dad, I think this is a bigger deal than I thought. I was like, what's up? And this is the earmuffs if you're squeamish. He takes the paper towel off and gets his pinky toe and just, and I go, okay, big deal, big deal. We're literally, I snapped into big deal. I was like, all right, Lizzie, get your clothes on, get your shoes, da, 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 da. I carry my son to the car. Later on, as I'm trying to describe what happened to my brother, Luke coins the term, it was like a skin chandelier hanging off the side of my foot. You're welcome. That's my boy. He's an artist with words, isn't he? We rush. So I, I call my wife. Literally, she could tell how serious it was. I'm like, get home now. Leave. Like, get Lincoln. Come home from the football thing. We're off. She doesn't ask a question. She can hear the big deal in my voice. She heads home. I'm driving exactly the speed limit all the way. So I, I'm choosing urgent cares that are near ERs because I don't know what the deal's going to be. I don't want to drive way over here, and they say, that's ER. So I go to an urgent care near the hospital, get there. The nurse comes out and looks at it, and when the nurse goes, oh, you know it's a big deal. She looks at it in like this. I'm not going to get into more detail. It, was, it looked small. Now it looks big. We took him back, x-rays. Thank God the skin took the, most of the force. The bones were decently okay. Sewed him up. Two weeks later, it's a small deal again. Like in a matter of 14 days, it goes from small deal to, oh my goodness, my, my son's going to be a nine-toed freak for the rest of his life, back to, you wouldn't know anything happened two weeks later. Oftentimes, that's how life works. And here's what happens in my soul during election season. Election season makes me believe what needs to be fixed out there requires an ER visit. And what God needs to fix in here requires a Band-Aid. And what if, what if the danger to your soul in this season is you start to think the hardest, biggest problems in the world is them over there, and God goes, I actually care about you in here. See, my prayers start to turn into things like this. God, fix the culture out there. God, fix what's broken out there. And God's sort of whispering back to my soul, what if I care more about the culture of your life? What are you watching and consuming and feeding on? That's forming the culture of your life and your family. How, how do you treat people? You're mad about the anger out there. How do you treat people? You're mad about the economy out there. What's the economy of your life look like? Where do you put your hope? Where do you invest your future? See, I think God's more concerned with what's going on in here than what's going on out there. And sometimes we get into seasons where we think they need the ER and I just need a little Band-Aid and a paper towel. See, the role of the church is to remind you each weekend what is really a big deal. If the resurrection of Jesus is true, here's how Paul tells us. This is what he says he wants to do with it. This is his objective. Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Jesus didn't die and rise again to give us new systems and policies and governments. He rose from the dead to give us new life in Jesus. He rose from the dead to give new life in here, not better systems out there. He rose from the dead to solve the sin issue in here. 
that's the calling that God has given us. And listen, if he rose from the dead, there are two places that God wants to breathe new life into how we live. Here's the first one. He wants to give us resurrected values. If the resurrection is true and he gives us new life in Christ, then he gives us new values, resurrected values to live by. Here's what Romans 6 sort of lays it out like. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, this is Jesus, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Our old life is gone. Our enslavement to sin is gone. We're now resurrected with him. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil desires. You see the the, the juxtaposition Paul's talking about. Like, like, before you followed Jesus, you were dead in your sin. But when you bowed to him, your old self was crucified on the cross like Jesus' life was. And now you resurrect a new life, a new person with new values. And when you come to Christ, he changes your values. And that should impact the most practical arenas of your life. How you treat your spouse. How you go to work, how you interact with people, and if he doesn't change the most practical places of your life, has he really changed you at all? See, your values determine what is actually big and small for your life. And if you're a follower of Jesus, your values should look like his. You're no longer chained to sin anymore. You're, you're freed in your new life. See, the big thing used to be how I got a promotion. The small thing was how I treat people. New life, those things flip. How I treat people suddenly matters different. Those values have, have changed. The big thing used to be how I de-stress or let loose on the weekend after a long day of work and I didn't care about God's truth or his definition of sin and what was too much or what was wrong or what was something you're feeding you shouldn't feed and suddenly the values should flip. Resurrection values. See, the big thing used to be my spouse exists to serve me and make my life work. And what was a small thing was how I served my spouse. And suddenly, resurrected values, you flip those things. The big thing used to be how I get a bigger house or car or vacation. The small thing was what kind of kingdom legacy am I leaving with the finances God's entrusted to me. Suddenly, I have resurrected values. They flipped. See, when you have new life, God gives you new values, resurrected values, new life values. And the reality is that if a Christian and a non-Christian look the same, has the Christian really been changed by Jesus? And it's going to get practical in your life. If a Christian and a non-Christian have the same household budget, has Jesus really gotten a hold of your values? See, we demonstrate that we recognize that big deal Every time we have a moment, you just ties and offerings. God, you get my first. You're my provider. I have kingdom values now. I don't buy my way into heaven. I bow my way into heaven. And then once I do, he changes my values. And when it feels like inflation and interest rates and the stock market are the biggest deal going on, all the more reason to fight for resurrection values in our finances. God, you have to be first. Not because I'm earning your love, but because you've given me your love. You've given me new life. And in this last season, maybe God's just saying, hey, I want you to realign your financial values to the kingdom. You have new life now. New values now. 
You look at the world differently now. And if, listen, if a Christian and a non-Christian have the same calendar, has the Christian really been transformed? Like, has Jesus really gotten a hold of, because listen, your calendar tells you what's valuable. What's the biggest deal? If a Christian and non-Christian have the same sexual ethic, they view that the exact same way. Has Jesus really got a hold of your values? See, my heart is burdened because it's so easy to look like a follower of Jesus, and yet your values, your heart has not been changed or aligned to resurrected values yet. And maybe God brought you here today to do that. Listen, if Jesus rose from the dead, we are empowered to live out God's values. If I'm not driving God's values into the life of my kids, listen, get the trophy. I don't care how you get it. It doesn't matter. Just bring home the trophy. Really? Is that the calling God has on me as a parent that I just, hey, you do whatever values you want to get ahead. See, God's called us as parents to teach God's resurrected values to our kids because the world's values, they're not consistent with his values. And listen, it doesn't shock me. Why would I expect people who don't follow Jesus to follow his values? Like Sometimes I don't get it how we get so shocked. I can't believe this. They don't follow Jesus. Why would they follow his values? But if you're a follower of Jesus, you should. In fact, let me, let me just unpack it this way. We have campuses locally here all over the place, multiple different counties. We have 12 stone homes across the country. We have four or five, I think it's five campuses in the county of Gwinnett. And right here locally, uh, I was passed along the health classroom materials, the new curriculum that they're, they're promoting. And to say it simply and to the point, they don't align with God's values. They redefine values that God established about sexuality, gender, biology, and it's complicated to be a parent in Gwinnett right now. I get that. Because those values are at odds with God's values. And you're trying to figure out what to do. Some of you already took the poll they sent out and said, listen, I don't want you teaching redefined values to my kids. And you probably should do that. Some of you have opted out of the health, health class curriculum and say, listen, my kids are not going to be, be in that. But listen, regardless of what you do with that, you cannot lay down your calling to raise your kids to understand God's resurrected values. That's your job. And let me tell you this. You can shelter them for the 18 years they're in your house. And they're going to hit the real world someday. <laughs> so you realize this. Jesus is coming again to fix the whole world, right? He's fixing us in here right now. It's not perfect out there yet. Your kids will go to college. And there will be people who don't share your values there. Can I tell you? Let me just be blunt. Remember that whole no offense thing? Let's be no offense, right? Remember? All right. Do you know what impacts your kids more than every minute they spend in school from kindergarten to high school? They watch what you say matters most, more than any curriculum. And listen, when you say Jesus is the big deal on Sundays and then live Monday to Friday like he isn't, you're giving them excuse to say, listen, I might doubt if this Jesus thing is as big a deal as mom and dad give lip service to. That's not on a curriculum. That's on us. That will far outweigh anything they sit through in school. Our calling is to make sure we recognize what's a big deal and what are smaller deals. And when you mess it up, we can mess up our kids in this. Everybody now take a breath. 
On three, one, two, three. We're not offended. This is awesome. Thank you, guys. Second thing. If Jesus came to bring new life, he gave us resurrected value. And secondly, he gave us resurrected purpose. Before Jesus left for eternity, before he ascended back to the Father, imagine being there. Jesus gathers his disciples. He gives them a last couple words, and then he just starts, like my son always pictures it like Iron Man. I don't think he did it this way, but that would be super dope if he did. But he goes all the way back to heaven, and he's now seated at the right hand of the Father. But before he left, he left us with a resurrected purpose. And here is how Matthew records it in Matthew 28. It's called the Great Commission now. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He said, listen, I went to the cross, I rose from the dead, and now I'm going back to heaven to prepare a place for you, but I'm leaving you with the purpose. Tell everybody what I did. Tell everybody what I invite them to be a part of. If Jesus actually rose from the dead, our calling and purpose to tell the world about Jesus is a huge deal. Like if Jesus is the only way back to the Father and you've met Jesus and you don't help people you know meet Jesus, that's a huge deal. And the the, the complexity is that our world has a lot of big deal problems and you might say, why would, would sharing my faith be the biggest deal? We got real problems going on in our world right now, don't we? Let me, let me tell you why. Let me tell you how God does this. Poverty. Big problem. But once someone follows Jesus, we take up our calling to care for orphans and widows and the poor. See, hatred and racism plays out on the world stage. But once we follow Jesus, we're called to love all people. And there's no one greater or lesser, only Jesus and the rest of us. See, violence, we look at what's happening on the streets. Once we follow Jesus, we're called to be peacemakers. We have new life. We have a new calling. Economic uncertainty that goes on all over the place. Once we follow Jesus, our treasures are stored in heaven safely. This stuff comes and goes. In heaven, they're stored safely. I don't rise and fall with the stock market anymore. Listen, there's no problem so big that the resurrection can't speak to it. And when Jesus changes people to be followers of him, he changes our purpose and our calling. We don't, we don't live in this world saying, I'm going to go get mine. I get what I want. I get my stuff first. We suddenly realize it's Jesus first, and I love people, and I'm part of the solution. Let me give you one story. Barry Henson, 18 years ago, he was transformed when he met Jesus and freed from his addiction, substance abuse. Jesus radically transformed his life, and along the journey, he began to believe that Jesus was calling him to help other people who were stuck in addiction. So he started a ministry that we now partner with here at 12 Stone called Recovery Foundations. And they help build a foundation in recovery through a relationship with Jesus. He's saying this basically. I don't know how I would have broken through substance abuse if Jesus didn't transform me from the inside out. So I want to invite you into the same thing. You see what he does? Jesus transformed Barry. And now Barry's part of transforming people all over the place. By the way, church, really cool story this week. We got a call from Barry. And some weird stuff happened with some funding and some grants that mistimed and misaligned. And he went, dude, I got a window here. I need some help. Because of your generosity as a church, we got to write a check and say, your expenses are covered through the year. That's the beauty of the kingdom. You're a part of that. That's you. You're a part of that. If your heart breaks for the brokenness of the world like mine does, 
pick up your purpose. You tell me how you're going to solve the problems that you see every day. You think there's a, there's a, a policy that's just going to suddenly solve the brokenness in the hearts of people. You think there's something I can put in place in a law that will change the heart of someone who truly hates somebody else. Who can? Resurrected Jesus. See, when you share your faith, you're part of solving what's broken in the world. This is our calling. And listen, the beauty of our calling is this. You don't have to start a recovery ministry to step into your calling and your purpose. Our daymaker calling is what this is about. Go show kindness to people, and that kindness points them to God's kindness, and God's kindness is meant to lead them to repentance, to new life in Jesus. We're not just giving cold water and being nice to people. We're pointing them to the one who can actually give them new life. This is our calling. It's why later this spring, I'm going to teach a one-month series where I want to equip you and train you about how to share your faith. I want you to confidently and effectively be able to share what Jesus did in you with people out there, with people you know. And most of us feel a little sheepish with it because it's, I don't know if I'm going to say the right words. We're going to address that this spring. But for now, this might be a great season for you to invite because it's Christmas. Here's what Christmas branding is going to look like this year. We're super stoked. And we're going we're to have an incredible Christmas. We're going to have a bunch of stuff. We give ourselves away in the community and have compassion with people all over the place. But in this season, people are looking for a place to be a part of a church during Christmas. Whether because it's tradition and they're supposed to be a part, or whether there's something in them, they're going, God, I need you to solve something that's broken in here. This is a great season to invite somebody to church with you. In a poll that was done a couple years ago, 50,000 people were polled over 10 years. And they were asked this question. How did you come to church for the first time? You know what 86% of them said? Because a friend or a family member brought, brought me with them. In other words, I would have never gone if someone didn't invite me. Think of your story. How did some of y'all get here? Someone that you knew loved you enough to bring you to church. And the goal is not church. The goal is Jesus. We just talk about him a whole lot here. See, Jesus wants to transform people. And listen, you get insecure about the invite. What this poll tells us is 86% of people are waiting for you to invite them. Just this week, Nick is a new believer at Central. He works in the pest control business. Thank you, Nick. I hate cockroaches. <laughs> Kill him in Jesus' name. So he was out on a house call, and he met a lady named Judy. And here's the text that he sent to one of our pastors explaining what happened just this week. He said, listen, Judy literally drove by one of the 12 Stone campuses last Sunday and felt pulled to go in, but resisted. In other words, I don't know people there. I don't know what I'm going to do. Then I ended up, this is Nick, I ended up on her doorstep on Tuesday to offer her pest control service. In talking with her, I somehow got to share some of my story and what a relationship with Jesus has done in my life. And when I mentioned 12 Stone, her jaw kind of dropped. <laughs> she got super excited, and next thing I know, I was inviting her to church, and bro, she actually came. Man, God is good and mysterious and just cool. I never knew God wanted to use me. And listen, God wants to use you. How selfish to have met Jesus and not give someone you know and love a chance to do the same. Church, I've prayed all week. God, would you, would you recall us back to the Great Commission? 
Because if Jesus actually died, actually rose from the dead, the most important thing we're in, the Great Commission. The next person, and the next person, and the next person. You want to solve what's broken in the world? Have everyone come to Jesus, and he gives them a new heart. We love different, serve different, care different. That's the answer. I don't have time to share it, but I feel like I'm supposed to. This story brings it back into perspective. This week, the Mill Creek community had a really complicated week, really weighty week. Not seen the story on the news. <clears throat> a young woman named Caitlin Pollock, 16 years old, died in a car accident this week. And as a parent, I don't know how to deal with that grief. Here's what's awesome. Her parents have hope in unimaginable loss because Caitlin followed Jesus. We have her Bible and this, I, I, I could read you the side of her Bible, all the things she wrote about Jesus and what he's done for her. And the reality is this, eternity is a breath away. We can get so caught up in all the little deals competing for the seat of big deal everywhere. And we can miss the fact <clears throat> that if Caitlin didn't know Jesus, her eternity is sealed forever. But we can sit here today and know she's with Jesus because she loved Jesus and followed him on earth. The Great Commission, our calling, is a huge deal. And you would have been so proud of your church. Hamilton Mill, that campus, served this family and that community so well. We got to host the funeral, and over 100 people responded to the gospel and said yes to Jesus just this week. Praise God. <clears throat> I'll turn it back to us. What's a big deal to you? The resurrection is true. If Jesus actually rose from the dead and he actually invites us to new life with new values and a new purpose. What is a big deal to you? Where do the values in your life not align to God's values? Maybe God brought you here to say, listen, I want you to realign your life. This last season has been complicated and really hard and really busy. And I don't know, all the things that were in balance at one point are sort of out of balance. And maybe God's saying, listen, maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your time, your character, your relationships. God honors current obedience over past mistakes. Start now. He empowers you to live out his values in new life. Secondly, where are you, where are you looking at your resurrected purpose as a small deal? God, does it really matter? The great commissions for pastors and super Christians, right? It's not for me. No, there are people that are near you, but far from God. And he put you in their life for this purpose. Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.